Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This week we are reading Mark 8 through 12. Now a couple things to remember. Last week we gave an intro to the book of Mark. And remember we said Mark was a close companion of the Apostle Peter. So you'll notice that in many of the stories in the book of Mark, you'll get kind of a spotlight on the Apostle Peter. You'll get some additional details on what Peter was saying or thinking. Now, part of that could be just because Peter tended to speak his mind, but also part of that is likely because Mark is getting his information from Peter. And remember we said the first eight chapters of Mark, so Mark 1 through 8, tell us a little bit more about who Jesus is. Who is this man who is claiming that the kingdom of God has drawn near? And then Mark chapters 9 through 16, you see Jesus starts preparing for heading to Jerusalem, preparing for his death. Okay, so a fairly simple overall structure. And I know you're reading Mark chapters 8 through 12 this week, and we will touch on a couple things in those chapters in a little bit. But I also want to look at something earlier in the book of Mark that often confuses people. And it's something that's known as the unforgivable sin or the unpardonable sin. And we find this in Mark chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. And this is Jesus speaking here. And he starts with truly. Now, something interesting here, this is a word that you'll often see in the Gospels. You'll see, you know, truly, truly. It's actually the word amen, Greek word amen, or what we would say amen, And it means uh, truly, verily, I assure you. So Jesus is basically saying, what I'm about to tell you is authoritative. This is almost equivalent of thus says the Lord. Okay, so what he's about to say is true and it's important. So he starts with, truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but... Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Now, I remember reading this passage as a kid, and I remember being extremely scared. Not going to lie. I remember thinking that if I maybe said one thing wrong, or maybe I even just had one bad thought against the Holy Spirit, did that mean that I couldn't be saved? I was unsavable? And some of you have probably thought that way as well. But I want to show you today why that's an inappropriate understanding of this passage. So I want to give us some context on this verse. So understand, first of all, that Jesus is responding to something that was said about him. So if we back up in this passage, if we go back to verse 22, it says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He, meaning Jesus, Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. So who are these scribes? Well, scribes were well-educated Jewish men whose job was basically to study the law. And by the law, I mean God's law. 
Okay, They would study it, they would transcribe it or copy it, and then they would write commentaries on it. And the scribes were extremely meticulous at what they did, to the point where they would actually count letters and spaces to make sure that there were no mistakes when they copied the law. And we actually have scribes to thank for their very accurate preservation of the Old Testament. They would also occasionally help with creating other documents in society, legal documents especially. So these were pretty sharp guys. But in this passage, the scribes accuse Jesus of being possessed by Beelzebul. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, that's a term that means something like Lord of the Dwelling. And along with the next line, which says Prince of Demons, it refers to Satan. Okay, so think about that. These scribes are basically saying that Jesus is possessed by Satan and he casts out demons by the power of Satan. Think about that charge they're bringing against him. This is God in the flesh performing miracles and they are ascribing his work to Satan. It's in that context that Jesus says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. So understand when Jesus says blasphemes the Holy Spirit, he's referring to assigning the works of God to Satan. Jesus performed his miracles and and he cast out demons by the power of the Spirit, right? And, And the casting out of demons is a sign of the coming of the kingdom of God. But the scribes are accusing Jesus of doing his miracles, not by the power of the Spirit, but by the power of Satan. And one thing to note here is that the Greek word that's used here for the scribes were saying, that word saying, implies an ongoing situation. So this is describing a a willful and a persistent rejection of Christ and his gospel message. It's a deliberate hardening of the heart against the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us to repent of sin and to believe in Christ. So the point here is that when somebody consciously and deliberately and and persistently rejects the, the saving power and grace of God, they're outside the provision of God's forgiveness. If someone rejects the work of Christ, there's no other means of forgiveness. There's there's no alternate solution. Now, a couple of comments here. This passage, then, is not referring to a slip of the tongue, you know, one wayward word that happened to, to slip out. It's not referring to one bad thought that you might have had. It's not even referring to a, a dramatic sin, quote-unquote, something like adultery or murder? Because if you think about it, who's somebody who committed those sins in the Old Testament? David. David committed murder and adultery. No, this sin is referring to an ongoing hardness of heart against the Holy Spirit. And this is a level of hardness where people are blind to the fact that they're even sinning. They've so hardened their hearts I mean, think about it. The scribes were attributing the works of God to Satan. They've so hardened their hearts that they have no desire to repent because they don't even think that they need to. 
It's unforgivable because it involves a, a willful rejection of the one possible source of forgiveness. So with that, people often wonder, have I committed this sin? Right? That, that's where I was as a kid. I would often worry about that. But here's the reality. If you're worried about whether you've committed the sin, you haven't committed the sin. Because if you're asking the question, you're showing a concern for your spiritual welfare. And you're showing a desire to ultimately honor God, to please God. Which means you haven't committed the sin. Because again, this sin involves a willful, a deliberate, and a persistent hardening of the heart against the spirit. Okay, so again, this is not just some accidental word that slipped out or some thought. This is a consistent hardening of the heart toward the Holy Spirit who is trying to lead you to repentance and to belief in Christ. And if you reject the one possible source of forgiveness, then you are going to face eternal judgment. Okay, so I I hope that helps clear up some concerns that you might have. This isn't a passage that we need to be concerned about as believers. It's not something that we need to constantly fear. Now, of course, this passage, I think, does demonstrate that we should take sin seriously, but it's not something where we need to constantly doubt our salvation. And actually, I think we should find hope in this passage. Remember, Jesus starts this passage by saying, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. Basically, what he's saying here is that all sins will be forgiven all people who don't willfully and persistently reject the Holy Spirit's testimony about Christ. So think about that. If you put your faith in Christ, then you can rest assured that all of your sins are forgiven. So find hope in that. Find hope. In God's eyes, you as a believer in Christ, somebody who surrendered your life to Christ, put your faith in Christ, in God's eyes, you are faultless. The blood of Christ has been applied to your life. So again, don't let this verse be a cause for fear. That's taking this verse out of context. We can rest assured, as Philippians 1.6 says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you've put your trust in Christ, you can know that your eternal destiny is sealed, that you're going to spend all of eternity with him. So again, find hope in that. Now, I also want to touch on a passage from Mark chapter 8, and this is actually from your reading this week. So we know that we can rest assured about our salvation, but what does it really mean for us to follow Jesus in our daily life? Well, Mark 8.34 tells us, It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, if you think about it, this is really kind of weird because the cross was a Roman instrument of torture. Think about maybe the electric chair today. That's kind of weird to think about, right? But what is he getting at here? Well, in other gospels that have this same passage, they say that we are to take up our cross daily. So this means that we are to die to ourselves daily. We're to leave our self-centered life behind and follow Christ. To follow after Jesus means that life is no longer about us now. It's all about him. He calls the shots. It also means that we lay down our lives for others. 
Think about the example that Jesus set for us. He says in Mark 9.35, and remember this is as the disciples are arguing amongst themselves about which one of them is the greatest. Oh, to be a fly on the wall for that conversation, right? He says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then in Mark 10.45, he says, for even the Son of Man, referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Think about that. If Jesus, who is fully God, came to earth and laid down his life for us, if he came not to be served, but to serve, how much more should we lay down our lives for one another? He set an example for us. So I say this to all of us, including myself, to challenge us. Is your life mostly about you? Again, I say that to myself as well. Is your life mostly about you? Your preferences? Your comfort? Your safety? Your accomplishments? Your achievements? Your retirement account? Your schedule? Do you put all those things first? Or are we willing to lay down our life for the good of others and for God's glory? even if it means discomfort and suffering or even death. So I want to challenge us this week. What's one way you can lay your life down for other people and for God's glory this week? What's one way? Is there someone that maybe you've been meaning to talk to, but you just haven't had the time, so to speak? Is there someone that you can help in some way? Maybe a neighbor, a friend, or a family member? Is there someone you need to apologize to or or make amends with? Is there someone you can share the gospel with? Is there some way that you can serve the local church, use your spiritual gift to, to serve the church? Because remember, following Jesus It's all about laying aside our comforts, our preferences, and laying it all on the line for him. Now, I want to be clear here. This doesn't mean that we live a life devoid of joy. It's actually the opposite. There's no greater joy than having Christ be your everything. Because nothing or no one can ever take him away from you. You get real joy, eternal joy. Not the fleeting pleasures of this world that always fail to satisfy. You get true joy. You get joy himself. You get Jesus Christ. So again, I challenge you, how can you lay your life down for the good of others and for God's glory this week? In the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. We die to ourselves so we can experience life as it was meant to be the abundant life where Jesus is our everything. So let's pick up our crosses and let's follow him daily. Let's lay down our lives so we can find true life. Make Jesus your everything and you'll find the life that you were always meant to live.